0: Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition.
1: Hello and welcome to the episode. The topic for today is hydrogen. Spotlight on
0: hydrogen is getting ever brighter and hydrogen for sure will play a role in the energy transition. The precise size and nature of the role is still to be determined, I think. And in many parts of the world, clean hydrogen still only exists on PowerPoint slides. Today, we're focusing in on a part of the world where clean hydrogen definitely exists on the ground as well as in plenty of PowerPoint slides, of course, and where hydrogen is likely to have a significant role in the future. And the country where we're going to, it's the same as where Delta EE's headquarters are, the beautiful country of Scotland. So if you're looking for the leading edge of hydrogen activity worldwide, there's probably a few places you could go globally. Scotland's definitely one of them. And with my guests, we'll be exploring what makes Scotland special today and in the future when it comes to hydrogen. So. Uh, let's introduce my guests. Uh, First up Nigel Holmes, CEO of the Scottish Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association. Hello Nigel.
1: Good morning and uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, join you today. Uh, Great to have you uh, here. So
0: Nigel, I characterize Scotland as being on the leading edge of hydrogen, global hydrogen activity. Why would you say uh, Scotland merits that position
1: what What makes it uh, on the leading edge? I, I like your description about um, there's lots of places where you can see what's happening on PowerPoint slides. Um, I think what's important about Scotland is that we do have some very good early projects that are helping us to understand not not just the theory but the practice of how we deploy hydrogen and we deploy hydrogen safely and it's going into uh, locations such as the city of Aberdeen, you know, where they're deploying the, the hydrogen buses. Um, and Fife, you know, just across uh, the river from Edinburgh, where they've been carrying out uh, hydrogen demonstration education projects now for almost 10 years. Uh, and also up to the very north of Scotland, off the tip, and Neil will tell us more about this, uh, in Orkney. And what we have in all of these locations are cluster- clusters where projects have been happening where people have been getting early experience with hydrogen. And I would say furthermore, these are clusters where we're actually very open to sharing what we've been doing and the lessons learned so far. And that's the important part. You know, we are learning as we're going on. And I think Neil will probably give us a few more examples, but, you know, it's important that we, if if we want to make progress, that we don't try and repeat the, the same mistakes that we actually all move together. I guess your
0: organisation, your role is to try and knit that activity together to disseminate those learnings, but also to secure, I guess, some public sector funding, some government support. How important has that been in getting these
1: projects that you've just described going? Well, public sector support is absolutely essential and it can come in more than one form. Funding has obviously been critical, some of the early projects in Orkney, uh, the Scottish Government, the Local Energy Challenge Fund uh, was, was instrumental with the Surf and Turf project, which then grew and became the big hit project. Um, support through Highlands and Islands Enterprise, Neil will talk about that as well. That's been pivotal in helping um, the innovating uh, projects in Orkney to actually um, work and, and to start the, the development. Um, but the, the other thing that's critical is the the policies you know, so it's not just a, and policy support for, for what is happening in hydrogen comes in different ways. And actually, the, the most important policy support I would suggest that we've had over the past year or two has been the advice from the UK Committee on Climate Change for the UK to set a target for net zero. The Scottish Government, I think the day after, you know, said, Yes, we take that on. You know, we will set a target for net zero by 2045 for Scotland. And the UK about three weeks later, yes, the UK will commit to doing net zero by 2050. Now you might say, well, that's nothing to do with hydrogen. But actually, what we've seen since May 2019 is that the the level of interest in hydrogen has just gone up exponentially. And it's not just for the UK; it's it's a wider change. But that's why 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 is that? that because net zero essentially means that you can't just hide. Some of the emissions that are difficult, you've got to do something about all of the all of the stuff The hard to decarbonise industry heat, the hard to decarbonise the ferries. Neil will probably talk about that as well. You know, so you can't just say that's in the twenty percent, and that's what was happening before, and that is why hydrogen is now coming rapidly up the agenda, not just in the UK, not just in Scotland, but but globally. So no no hiding places left. Uh, you've got to, we've got to
0: decarbonise everything, um, and that public support, that money obviously, oil's the wheels but maybe that's the wrong analogy for this podcast. Um, Thanks Nigel, we'll come back to you shortly. Um, So you mentioned Orkney a couple of times, well my second guest is Neil Commode, Managing Director of the European Marine Energy Centre up in Orkney off the north coast of Scotland. Hello Neil.
2: John, good morning, how are you doing?
0: Good thanks. Um, Now, Neil, we're talking about hydrogen today, but you're MD of the European Marine Energy Centre. So some people might be wondering, what's a marine person doing on a hydrogen podcast? Can you explain a bit uh, how hydrogen fits into your activities?
2: I, I i certainly can um and i'd like to claim it was part of some great and cunning plan but actually it's more <laughs> the conspiracy of circumstance and and previous decisions really so we are in um, orkney say so we're just north of, uh, of mainland scotland um not not we're not right at the top shetland's beyond us they're not always in a box in the north seas they appear on some maps um and so we are working on finding ways to harvest energy from waves and tides. The energy we're harvesting, the intention has always been to put it into the national grid and export that energy to the UK's main mainland grid. However, the grid was put in originally to supply a small amount of power to the islands, not take the large quantities of renewables that are now being produced on the islands away. So the cables are, are getting full, basically.
0: Yeah, you've got a small cable, not a big cable.
2: Yeah, so, so we've got enough to to, to power the twenty thousand people who are here, but not enough to power the sixty million people who are on, on the southern bit of the of the UK. So, um, in in effect, we found that we. We could harvest the energy, but we were starting to run up against the edges where we couldn't export it all. And so we started to look for other ways in which we could use the energy that we're taking from the sea. And so, principally from our tidal site, we first of all realized that we could store the energy and put it into batteries, but that only worked short term. Um, But actually, were there other things we could do? It led us towards hydrogen as a long term storage energy vector. So, that led a couple of years ago to us putting in a half megawatt electrolyzer, which therefore takes the Excess tidal energy and turns it into hydrogen. And so we've been doing work around that. Um, the electrolyzers uh, being refurbished at the moment and being upgraded. It's due back with us imminently. Um, but the the whole point is that we've actually produced hydrogen from tidal energy. So that's the first time those two have been cu- close coupled, and it gives us another export medium rather than just purely relying on the grid. And
0: it's hydrogen. An export medium, or is hydrogen uh, something you're using that on the island and looking to utilise that as much as you can on the island as well?
2: Well, both really, John. Um, uh, we, we see it as a potentially big export market um, but you've got to have something um, you've got to do things at the scale you can manage and frankly it's a bit chicken and egg you know you, you can't have an export market if you're not making the stuff but similarly if you haven't got a home market it's really hard to make it and export it all somebody suggested it's a bit like you know, deciding to open up a sausage factory and export your first sausages off the line to Marks and Spencers you know, that's not just not going to happen. You, you've got to get the quality right. You've got to work out all the systems. You've got to, you, you, you need a home market. You need to try it out on friends and family first.
0: But also, what sort of things are you trying it out on then?
2: Well, we would, we one of the early pennies that dropped was really based around some work that was done a couple of years ago by some colleagues in a company called Aquaterra, which was about an energy audit done in Orkney. And it showed principally that obviously we use energy for all the same things everybody else does, but we use as much energy for running our ships to and from the county and in within the county as we do on heating and lighting all our houses. So it's a big, it's a big thing here. So we thought, you know what, if we could effectively decarbonize our shipping, that gives us an energy market as big as the electricity market we've got here locally. Yeah. And of course, it, we're not the only island in the world. There are over 8,000 islands in the European Union with more than 10 people on them. You know, there's thousands of islands all around the world, most of which are running on diesel generators somewhere tucked away in a corner. So could we do something that harvested energy from renewables and turned it into something that would displace diesel? And that was really where it led us. And so shipping was the first thing we started to do. And so we've been taking the hydrogen and running it through a fuel cell on shore um to power um to power ferries when they tie up alongside at night now clearly it's not efficient to actually take hydrogen and turn it back into electricity to put it to put to a ship but the idea was that what we wanted to do was to provide to turn the hydrogen into electricity on the ship but the regulations don't allow us to do that just yet so this is a regulatory edge that we were rubbing up against we found a way to get as far as we can and then help the regulators take the next step that will then empower us to do the the, the bit about hyd- having hydrogen on the ships to propel the ships in due course
0: yeah okay and are you looking at other uses of hydrogen Is ships sort of the, going to be the focus for the next years or is it wider than that
2: well no we, we're doing a couple of things really so one is um we'd also there are there are uh, one of the islands has also got a hydrogen boiler going in, so we're using it for a small amount of heat, although we don't see that as a, as a big market for us. Um, we think heat pumps would be better there. Um, we're also using it for um, range extending on some electric vehicles, so putting into fuel cells in vehicles. Um, but once again, we think the, batteries, the the growth of batteries and the improvement of batteries is sort of eating a chunk of that. So the space for hydrogen propulsion in small-scale vehicles is quite small, but similarly, we are we're interested in looking at some of the bigger stuff. So if any of the listeners have got a hydrogen tractor, i um, be very interested if you give me a ring afterwards because we we think there's a sp- space because agriculture is obviously big here as well. And then the other piece we've done most recently is that there's been, us work with a company called Zero Avia who now have a hydrogen-propelled aircraft and that's just done its first test flight a, a few days ago. Um, and that's about putting an electric drive train in an existing um, infernal combustion engine uh, powered uh, plane, um, and then swapping, um, uh, producing the electricity initially from batteries, and now they've moved to producing the electricity from hydrogen. So we're looking at zero emission aviation as well. So that's land, sea, it. and yeah.
0: Yeah, aviation there could be quite interesting because for people that don't know Orkney, you've got some very short flights between islands and the, between the islands and the mainland, haven't you?
2: We do, and you do. We had the world's shortest scheduled airline flight, which is, I think the record is 38 seconds or something between the arms <laughs> of Westry and Papa Westry on downwind when nobody's looking, you know. But it's normally about a minute and a half on, on, on if if it's running long.
0: Oh, that's,
2: that's ages now. <laughs> flight oh, yeah. service yeah, is a bit of a challenge. It depends which
1: way the wind's blowing, Neil, doesn't it? it if the wind's does. going the wrong way, it takes a lot longer.
2: It does. Yeah, You double the flight time. <laughs>
0: Um, Neil, we'll come back to you shortly. That's been a, a fascinating little introduction to Orkney and uh, your activity with hydrogen there. My last guest is uh, my Delta EE colleague and uh, expert, Jeremy Harrison. Hello, Jeremy. Wanna go? So, Jeremy, we've gone from Scotland to Orkney. I know you feel very strongly that hydrogen must be thought as part of the wider energy system and not in isolation. Can you just give us a couple of examples or show your thinking as to why you strongly believe hydrogen could have a really important role to play in Scotland at the energy system
3: level? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's interesting that uh, Neil just been talking about the applications, things like um, you know, even aviation and road haulage and some of these really difficult to decarbonise uh, areas. Uh, steel making is another one, yeah, that there are some processes in our society which are very difficult to decarbonise cost effectively, in fact, to do it at all. And so certainly hydrogen is going to play a key role in that, but maybe just take a step back to some of the key characteristics of hydrogen that, that uh, Nigel touched on. So the one that everybody picks up on is its ability to store energy, large amounts of energy cost effectively for long periods. And so that addresses the interseasonal challenge. So, for example, Neil just referred to um, heat pumps providing heating for homes. But of course, even if you have a constant electricity production, you need the heat in winter, not in summer. So there's going to be a demand for uh, some kind of interseasonal storage and maybe hydrogen could provide that. Um, And there are quite a few applications where that is the case. But the other thing, the other characteristic which is really key to me um, and which comes back to the point about heating, is that today over 80% of our homes are heated with natural gas? Um, and it's not just about the amount of energy, it's the speed at which you can deliver that. So every morning when people switch on their heating systems, you have an incredible ramp rate. You know, the, the rate of demand for, for energy, in this case gas, is extremely high. Um, particularly,
0: and that, with the, particularly with the, the leaky homes that we have far too many of in the UK.
3: Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, and the storage that allows you to do that is what's called line pack. It's actually the, the pressure variations in the, the, the gas pipelines. And to replace that with the kind of capacity you need for electric heat pumps is really challenging. So hydrogen does offer that potential to um, support the uh, that very high ramp rate. And that's just one example. So um, you mentioned before about the competition between electricity and gas. Um, and, and I don't see it that way at all. Uh, we did some work recently for the Net Zero Coalition, Industry Coalition, looking at some of the scenarios for decarbonisation of heat that the, um, that the Climate Change Committee had put forward. And even in the extreme electrification scenario, we found that there was a significant amount of green hydrogen production. In fact, it's almost paradoxical the more electricity you produce, the more excess electricity you end up with, and therefore you convert to hydrogen. Therefore, you can't have a pure direct electrification. You've got to have and, that. And-
0: That's exactly what, Neil, I guess you're seeing in Orkney, that you've got more electricity at times than than you need. You can't export it. So it's really that system approach. um,
2: Yeah, I completely agree. It is that system. It's it's recognising that electricity is really unusual. It's one of the few things we have very little storage in we have storage for everything else, baked beans, timber, tires, anything else, but, but barely anything in terms of electricity. And it's really quite strange. And, and also it's peculiar, that we don't really try and store heat much ourselves. We have storage heaters, but they're a pretty smallish niche thing. But there's no systematic so storage of heat.
0: Thermal stores that there's more interest in at the moment, base change yeah. material, but it's not
2: easy to store heat, I guess. It's, uh... Well, it is, it, it's ridiculously easy. That, that's the thing. It's. Sorry, quick bit of maths. If I take a ton of water and stick it 100 metres in the air for like a pump water storage system, that will yep. store one megajoule of energy. If I leave that same ton of water on the ground and heat it by 60 degrees, it has about 240 megajoules of energy in it. And keeping yep. keeping a ton of water, which would basically fit under your kitchen table, um warm at 60 degrees just involves polystyrene and you know phenolic foams and you know it's insulation it's really easy to keep 60 degrees of water hot you know so i think we need to think about what is the best storage that we need because interseasonality is critically important and i think we shouldn't ignore heat
0: so neil in orkney then what can you bring to life maybe some of this thinking in terms of actual projects uh but they've all got acronyms one the reflex project i find interesting but you may want to highlight others that look at hydrogen's role then in this um, energy system challenge yeah.
2: yeah um so so there are a lot of projects going on and i really can't keep track of all of them myself and i must admit um uh i i'd leave it to the lexicographers to come up with the cunning names for these various things i'd given me a number every time and i'd be able, easily able to remember them um well, my, but favorite, the reflex- my
0: favorite one actually that we may go it on to it's called big hit i think that's the best yeah. acronym i've come across in the energy sector in europe anywhere
2: <laughs> and nigel yeah. might be able to remember the pro- the provenance of that because I, I, I can't <laughs> but to, um but um but if we t- touch on the reflex project for a second, because this is an interesting one, because it, it was it's based around several things, one of which is the fact that a lot of the participants in it have worked with each other on a v- variety of other projects. So we were used to working together. And it allowed us to bring together a multi vector uh, project. And effectively, it's looking at both heat, transport and electricity storage. And it's it's, it's it principally is about putting in responsive um uh flexibility into uh, into the grid, so I said earlier, there isn't really much storage, but part of this project is involving using storage by putting in batteries both at a domestic level, so on the wall of the garage of various participating houses or in an industrial scale, you know, a small container full of batteries type stuff um, at various locations. Um, So that's the sort of electricity storage, but also recognizing that transport is now becoming the electricity storage issue so the batteries in cars charging those up at a time when there's a surfeit of energy from the tides or waves or particularly wind and storing the energy to allow transportation to happen in the electric car batteries that's that part and there's a further part which is about the heating side of things once again electric storage heating and the use of hydrogen in heating and probably combined heat and power definitely combined heat and power projects so it's 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 stopping this segmentation and, and over siloing it's working across the piece taking that holistic point that uh, Jeremy referred to earlier that's, that is really important and we're really grateful to to um the british government for the support of this through uk um uh, ri um, which has uh, enabled this project to happen
0: so what you're doing there to summarize is looking at a multitude of different storage mechanisms or yep. waste balance the system and looking at how they can work together how they can each fit into a different part of the energy system or what customers need in orkney so it's not there may be an element of either or there may be some places where two two different uh, approaches are competing but there'll be many other places where they're complementary
2: yes and, and, I, and i forgot to say that the whole thing is underpinned by the by the digital side of things because suddenly knowing who needs heat who's got energy you know what's coming all that stuff that allows this thing to happen in the background without people hunched over control boards trying to pull levers to make it all work you know this this should happen in the background because I think somebody mentioned the change in energy processes are going to be a, a behavioral change as much as it's a technology technological change
0: um Jeremy, I'd like to ask you next about scales of hydrogen. We looked at, talked about Orkney, Neil has explained to us what's going on there. Uh, So should we be thinking on kilowatt, megawatt, gigawatt, or all of those scales for hydrogen, Uh, big industrial clusters or uh, smaller scale projects like Orkney? And then Nigel, I'd like to ask you about how in Scotland you see the path from these sort of demonstration or funded projects through to uh, replication building on those learnings. Uh, Jeremy, let's start with you. As the scale question it's not really a, what's the right scale, there are different scales, but how do, you, how do you think about those scales from kilowatt to megawatt to
3: gigawatt for hydrogen? Well, I think you answered your own question. It's all of the above. Um, I mean, the, the larger the scale, generally speaking, the more efficient the overall process and the more cost effective as well. Um, but in some ways hydrogen and fuel cells is a bit like solar in that it, it is very scalable you know one uh, single household rooftop solar is comprised of a you know a dozen modules or so and a solar farm of 20 megawatts which is made of lots more of the same yeah. fundamental components and the same is true of fuel cells so the operating efficiency of a fuel cell can be just as high for an individual um micro chp unit in single house as it will be for the you know for the the large-scale systems that we're talking about here um and in fact there are already initiatives across europe with i mean every day we seem to see announcements of somebody's doing an even bigger electrolyzer than uh, the guy next door and i think that uh, um you know, there was the, the refine project in germany the steel walls with 10 megawatts and somebody just announced 50 megawatts and you think well yeah, you know, how, how much could you do um and the answer is it depends what you're trying to do we've looked at uh, some very small schemes um in the Local Energy Systems Research Service, which looks at um, how local communities can uh, make best use of locally available resources. And there's an example of uh, where um, solar PV on the roofs of uh, blocks of flats is used to produce hydrogen during the summer, uh, which then reconverted converted back into electricity and heat. So you've got the heat and power uh, utilization during the winter. Um, and that's on, kind of, as I said, blocks of flat scale. Um, but it's also happening at larger scales, as in um, in the Reflex project. Um, but we can so, see, sorry. So Jimmy, do you think well, then we'll end up with both with a whole range
0: of scales of electrolyzers, from you know electrolyzers working at really large levels, pumping huge amounts of hydrogen into cathodes, maybe down to community scale electrolyzers, or do you think one or other will predominate? Will we be pushed towards the economies of scale and? It will be mainly the big stuff
3: that we see. i think it'll depend what we're using it for so for example we're already seeing companies like itm doing um electrolysis for refueling stations for road transport um and that has to happen at the scale it is needed that yep. location um but i also think that you will get the other two extremes so as i say the individual if not household but maybe box or flat scale where you've got that kind of um the synergy of diversified loads which, which can make it sensible with the CHP scheme, but also much larger scales where if we're talking about, for example, decarbonizing the, the gas grid to provide gas for heating to replace what we have already, then that's going to happen at a much larger scale. And that's going to be, you know, bespoke electrolyzers who's, who are dedicated entirely to producing vast amounts of bulk hydrogen to feed the system rather than what ITM would do, sorry, what um, some of these you know, like reflex are doing where you're using excess wind capacity and providing the flexibility that 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 affords. Okay. Um,
0: so yeah, a, a range, but depending on what you're actually trying to do, what you're trying to achieve. But, uh, yes. I think Yeah, I agree. I think we'll end up with a range of big to small, small to big. Um, Nigel, in terms of building on the momentum that's gathering in Scotland, um, the energy sector is littered with demonstration projects that are interesting, but then shut down, there's a report, it's put on the shelf, and then not much happens. How? what's the pathway in Scotland to go from uh, the sorts of projects that Neil's talked about to hydrogen playing a really significant role in Scotland?
1: I think all of the projects have a, have a part to play, have a contribution to make. But I think some will be recognised as making a much bigger contribution than others. In specific applications and the one that I think will be absolutely pivotal not just for the UK but on a much wider scale is the SGN H100 project um, now this project has not yet started um, maybe by the time the podcast goes out um, the decision will be made by Ofgem but it's it's currently in in the frame We're actually but Nigel for our
0: listeners that don't know the project in very quick elevator
1: pitch for what it is, who SGN does and what it is. Absolutely, so I was just about to describe it. Um, So just north of Edinburgh in Methyl, across the river, um, take three to 400 typical houses, so these are houses that exist, currently using natural gas, and give the householder the option of changing to hydrogen. The hydrogen would be produced using local offshore wind turbine, so it's green hydrogen, um, and the project would be to run those for you know, a couple of years, just to test the performance and the, obviously the the safety of the of the systems. And why does that matter? It's because if the UK is going to decarbonize heat at scale, it's not just three or four hundred houses that we need to do. It's essentially you know 20 million you know households that currently use natural gas boilers. Now some might be able to convert to electricity or heat pumps but there's going to be a big chunk in there that you know hydrogen boilers could be the most cost-effective option for decarbonisation for the householder and also you know for, for the country as a whole and or without I've, I've, just,
0: I've just put in a hybrid system so I've got a boiler I'd put in a heat pump the heat pump can't carry my whole house It can do a chunk of it so I'm hoping that that solution for me I can get some clean. Clean fuel coming along from our boiler could be hydrogen that will uh, enable me to be fully decarbonized
1: with my heat. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so but without the, the evidence in place that will satisfy the regulators and the safety case, it will not happen. So, that, that's why a project like H100 is, is absolutely critical. And th- these are the kind of projects that actually Scotland's been very good at putting together and very good at delivering. And, you know, the, the I'd like to think that you know if we did this podcast again in three or four years time we would have the the information which is giving people the confidence that you can actually do this and the other bit that's the piece of the jigsaw is that we have boiler manufacturers in the uk who actually have in their facilities they have hydrogen boilers running and so the idea that this is actually something that is a a long-term dream is absolutely not true you know I've got a boiler in my kitchen it's not hybrid but it's a big white box and I went down to Worcester back in March um, and I saw another big white box which looked exactly the same but it had I'm a hydrogen boiler written on the front of it so this was it this was under test of course but the the other key part will be how do we turn 20 million households from natural gas into hydrogen and again the plans are starting to go together about having hydrogen ready boilers so that as soon as you know it's possible you start to sell them into the market they can run on natural gas a small change very quick change can make them run on hydrogen and this is about the practical aspect so this isn't just theory this is about how you do it in practice and we've done it before Ooh. with towns gas to natural gas and we can do it again what you described
0: there i think will have listeners who will think more more electric more hydrogen different combinations but the the key thing i take away from that is Scotland's been very good at getting projects going, building on those projects, using the learnings, and it will be a lot of hard work over the next years of the H project you just described, the other project you're, you're working on, other demonstration projects, and bit by bit, building the learning, building the evidence base, um, so that policymakers can then make probably some big decisions, but with that really strong evidence base behind them.
2: Jonathan, just coming in, there, I, I think yeah. it's also recognised that the UK government produced a, an R&D roadmap quite recently, which is pretty good, but also quite excoriating because it points out that we're quite good at starting ideas, but pretty terrible at, at commercialising them. And you know, frankly, the UK needs to get his act together. So we've we've got to take these projects that that do exist and actually build on them a commercial basis. And so it's so important that we recognize that quite often these these challenges are not just ones of it you know, does the tech work but can we put the business model around it um and that is something which is we're also finding with the reflex project that some of the challenges we've had within the project have really been driven by changes to rules which have fundamentally upset the the business economics and some stuff it's got nothing to do with physics Yeah, you know, well trying I, to change the law so I was going to say, trying to change the laws of physics and chemistry are really hard, but trying to change the laws of man just requires determination and a laser printer, you know, and yeah. it, 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 and, and that's the piece that is so galling if we, if we don't make this work, because we don't really try hard enough. So uh, I, I take that, um, that R&D roadmap as, as a wake-up call, and we need to make sure that we start to turn these projects into reality.
0: Yeah, I think the technology is often the easy bit, although if you're an engineer, you will probably disagree with me. It's a, the business model and commercialization and the regulations that's the, the hard part. Well, we've been looking forward, so it's definitely now time to bring out the Talking New Energy Crystal Ball. This is the first podcast where we're also recording it on video. But the Talking New Energy Crystal Ball is still being patented at the moment, so I'm not going to share it on the screen in front of you. I'm just going to put it on the desk next to me. And we'll set the dial to 2030. Uh, Now, I'd like each of you to describe in 30 seconds, so keeping it really brief, please, the scale of hydrogen activity you think we'll be seeing in Scotland in 2030. Now, you can answer in terms of megawatts, number of projects, contribution to the energy mix, whatever way you like, but in no more than 30 seconds. So, how much hydrogen activity in scotland by 2030 neil let's
2: start with you depends how much we want it we could get gigawatts of gener of of hydrogen deployed if we really want to um i, I suspect it'll be used principally um in some of these hard to use activities so it's going to be principally transport um personally i'm not a great advocate of of the hydrogen for heating side of things because i think it just uses is putting a premium fuel into the crap building Crap is a word used by the chairman of the committee on climate change when describing the UK building. Um, So I I personally, I would hope we will have gigawatts of, uh, or at least a gigawatt um, online, uh, a proper green hydrogen, none of this blue stuff.
1: Okay. Thanks, Neil. Uh, Nigel, your 30 seconds. I'm going to divert slightly from the, it has to be all green. Um, I think we do want it to be all green. Absolutely. But there'll be a mix. And I think that mix will be determined by demand. You know what do people want? and i I, I see industry some, some parts of industry as being potentially early demand to help us to build up. Um, I think some of the some of it may come through as blue, but will be gigawatt scale and a lot of it will be green and demand is the key. If the demand is not there, we won't get to that level. Thanks uh, Nigel and last but not least Jeremy, your 30
0: seconds.
3: Well, I'd be even more um, optimistic than Nigel, I think, that uh, even if you just look at green hydrogen, taking it from the production side, um, Scotland's got phenomenal targets for offshore wind. I think it's 24 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. Um, now, either we're going to need huge amounts of electrical reinforcement to get that energy where it's needed, uh, or we need hydrogen. So, given what I said earlier about, I cannot conceive uh, an electrification scenario in which there is not a significant amount of green hydrogen as a byproduct, then I think definitely the gigawatt level. And once you start doing that, you get this runaway tipping point where it it costs to the extent that it becomes viable for applications where it might not otherwise be viable. So to take Neil's point, eating could be one of the ways forward. (laughs) Okay. Um,
0: Well, you all stuck very well to your 30 seconds, maybe a tiny bit over, but certainly in the spirit of it. So thanks very much. that brings us to the end of the discussion today. Unfortunately, I'm sure we'll talk about hydrogen many, many more times in uh, Talking New Energy podcasts. So, thanks very much to you all. Thank you, Neil. For joining. Thank you. Oh, thanks.
2: Thanks, Nigel.
0: Thank you, Joel. And thank you, Jeremy, for uh, your second or third podcast or fourth. I'm not
3: sure. No, I can't remember right.
0: either. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks, as always, to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed that and look forward to welcoming you back to another episode of Talking New Energy next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.